Before I pray this morning, there's something that's going on in our midst that you need to know about. Donna and Rebecca. Rebecca, would you come here? Part of the membership and the part of the family of Grace Evangelical Church is the lady who's standing to my left and her daughter, Rebecca. This is Donna Faircloth. If you do not know Donna, um, you missed out. Um, Donna is someone that you need to get to know. But Donna, um, years ago, 13 years ago, 13 years ago, moved to Brazil and became a missionary and opened an orphanage, the Valley of Our Savior Orphanage in Recife, Brazil, and has for these past 13 years been um, taking young women off the streets of uh, Brazil and uh, pointing the, uh, bringing them into the orphanage and pointing them to the Savior and giving them a hope uh, for a future and a life. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our privilege to support Donna, uh, financially in that ministry there, you know, when you find the real deal, you, uh, you really want to get behind them with every ounce of you. Well, Donna has proved herself to be the real deal. Donna is returning to Brazil um, this week. Yes, on Friday. We'll be returning to Brazil on Friday to resume her headship of that ministry there with greater visions. With uh, She shared with me some things that she wants to do, and, and it's just... Um, it's my privilege to be a part of what she's doing. I want you to share in that privilege, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, part of the monies that you give, of course, are given away. And our hope is that we're going to give more away. That we're going to point more of our resources in the future away from us to ministries such as Donna's. Donna's leaving Friday. She's been here for a year. And I wanted to pray over her before she leaves as a part of our pastoral prayer this morning. This is her, her daughter, Rebecca. And um, ladies and gentlemen, before you leave, if you, if you have a minute, come say hello to Donna and Rebecca and say goodbye. We'll be praying for her tonight as well as other things. But I wanted you to meet Donna, and I wanted to pray for her as she left. Our Father and our God, indeed, it is Christ who is the solid rock who is beneath us. We stand on that rock and that one alone. There is nothing, all else indeed is sinking sand. Uh, I have found that to be true. Donna has found it to be true. And so many in this room have found it to be true that all other foundations are nothing but shifting sand. And we thank you that we share in that family of those who stand on the solid rock of Christ. And to think that one of our number has sensed a call from you to take that message to another place in the world is an absolute thrill and delight. Oh, might her tribe increase. Oh, might numerous others from this congregation sense that you would have them to serve you better in a place other than the United States. Father, guard Donna, protect her, give her wisdom, grant her the unction of the Holy Ghost as she performs her ministry. She will indeed, no doubt, have difficulty. Satan will see to it. And we pray that you will uh, guard her heart, that she might not be overly distressed and discouraged. Lift her in the, in the middle of the battle, remembering that there is a group of people who not only love her, but are committed to her every need should they ever arise and are committed to offer her name up to the throne of grace without fail, without fatigue, that we find it our delight to stand in the gap for Donna and the valley of our Savior. Father, use Donna tremendously to, uh, to bring more young souls off the streets and into the household of faith. 
uh, honor what she does and uh, give us a sense of greater willingness to make greater sacrifices, whatever they need be, for ministries like her as well as others around the world. Thank you, Lord God, for granting her this vision. Give a similar vision to the rest of us. Now, Father, take all this money that we're giving. It is a tiny fraction of the rest that we've got at home. But take this, Lord, and use it for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that only, we pray in that glorious name. Amen. Acts chapter 10 at verse 24. You follow as I read. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. When he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been, has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him... God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins." While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, 
Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. This meeting between Peter and Cornelius that I just read you out of Acts 10, as um, as small as it may appear at the moment, is one of those epic moments, those epic events in history upon which vast, weighty measures depend. During his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ committed the keys to the kingdom to Peter. But Peter had no idea. He had no idea, ladies and gentlemen, the vast multitudes that would enter through a door that he would open. In that multitude are people like you and me. Gang, there is so much in these 25 verses that I, that I read you. We could spend a whole lot of time. What I've sought to do is distill them down to something that is uh, fairly swallowable. Um, but there is, know this, we could spend a whole lot of time on each section of this story. But it is a story, I think, at least in two halves. I've read you the second half of the story, the, last, the, the first half we did about three weeks ago. So what I've done is divided up into the three sections. I'm hoping to um, uh, impress you with the story that's told and then make some applications and we're finished. So take a look with me first at the first section, which is really verses 24 through 33. And in that section of this story, what you get is uh, the setting. This little section describes the scene uh, or it describes the events which occurred that led up to the scene. It gives you an account of what it is that ultimately um, uh, culminated in Peter preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his friends and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that's what you get in that first section. Now, there is one statement in there that I would want, want you to see before we leave it, and it's in verse 28. Now, guys, about three weeks ago, as I said, we did the first half of this story. And you'll recall, I hope, that um, Peter is uh, in Joppa. He's, um, he falls into, has a visionary experience on the top of a house, and he has this vision where this sheet is lowered with all kinds of animals on it. And he, he talks about, uh, and the, the, the vision says, arise and eat, and Peter says, no, that's not, I wouldn't eat anything unclean. And, and God says, don't you dare call clean what, uh, unclean what I call clean. Now my point is this, if you look at verse 28, Peter knows something. Peter says at the, at, the, at the end of verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter is aware that the vision that he had back in Joppa is not about food. This is not about dietary restrictions, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a vision about dietary restrictions that was to be applied to people. It was a vision about clean and unclean food that was to be applied to clean and unclean people. The point of that vision wasn't so that Peter could eat more things. The point of that vision was to prepare Peter to broaden his understanding as to what God was up to in redemption. He is aware of that. In, you see it in verse, verse 28. Guys... 
the, the, the distinction between peoples lie at the heart of Judaism. That is, it was us versus them. It was we're the clean, everybody else is the unclean. There was a, a, there was a wall between Judaism the, and, and, and the rest of the Gentile world that simply was not to be penetrated. While in Europe, we heard a great deal about a wall that separated Berlin. A physical wall that separated peoples. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a spiritual wall that separated peoples. 1989 was when that wall in Berlin fell. It is in this event where that other wall, that more serious wall that separates people, is is obliterated. And it is obliterated in this event. But according to verse 28... The light is beginning to dawn on Peter that no longer are Gentiles to be considered unclean. No more unclean food and no more unclean people. That's, that's the point of that first section. The second section, verses 34 through 43, are really, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely monumental. One of the things that you get in this section is the essential message of the gospel in verses 38 through 43. This, this event marks the first time that there had been a formal preaching of the gospel to Gentiles. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know how to um, share the gospel with your unconverted friends, i got a suggestion for you. Just memorize Peter's sermon. That's all you need to do, ladies and gentlemen, because there it is. Concise, succinct, brief... But it's all there. The whole gospel in a nutshell is found in this section in verses, really, 38 through 43. Now, uh, what I want you to see is, in beginning in verse 34, Peter says, He opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, gang, um, this is the opening sentence of his sermon. And um, he goes on to tell why he now believes that. But here's my question to you. How do you think he said that? With what kind of intonation of voice do you think Peter made that statement? You know, one of the things that I think is a disadvantage to us, ladies and gentlemen, is that we're separated by millennia from this event. We come to things like uh, Moses walking around on, uh, on the mountain and the bushes burning. And um, we read those in our devotions, and we, we read the, the black words on a white page, and we say, Oh, Moses saw a bush that was burning. Do you think that was the emotion that was being felt in the midst of this unfolding drama? What I'm saying to you here is, what do you think is going on here? If you can somehow seek to existentially transport yourself into a setting where Peter is now witnessing something that was about to blow his whole world apart. Centuries, centuries, ladies and gentlemen, of prejudice and hatred and contempt are being swept away before his very eyes. Convictions that were not only held and felt by him, but also by all his friends, all his family, all of his heroes. 
All those convictions are now crumbling all around him. He is standing in the midst of a spiritual earthquake. There was no barrier in all of nature that was more formidable as the one that separated Jews from Gentiles. And now... He is making this earth-shattering discovery that Jews were not the only ones to be included within the covenant people of God. That people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation were also to be swept into this thing. And he is the one that's about to, uh, to, to do something that's going to destroy this barrier. Imagine the exhilaration, the joy, the, the emotion, the drama that went into tearing down the wall in Berlin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, some of that same emotion is packed into these verses 34, 40, 34 through 43. Peter is standing in a room with Gentiles, which was unheard of in the first place. In fact, he even says that. He enters the house and he says up in verse 27, I think, hey, uh, you know, it's, no, it's in verse 28. He says, you know, it's, uh, it's very unlawful. <laughs> it's very unlawful for me to be, even be here. But God is up to something. And then Cornelius tells his story. And then Peter says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. You think he said it like that? Do you think that's what was going on in his soul about that moment? Can, 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 you, can you understand the thrill and the excitement of thinking that everything that I had once defined as unclean, I was wrong. You know, about the only illustration that I could think of that would help us get a sense of this drama was the Old Testament legislation concerning lepers. <laughs> Have you ever read that? Uh, it starts in Leviticus 13 and it goes on for three chapters. Have you ever read, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever read or tried to read through the Bible, uh, that's one of those sections of the scriptures that give reading through the Bible a bad name. Because uh, he talks about uh, a spot on the skin, and whether it's got the hair inside the spot is white or whether it's black. And uh, then if it's, you, you go over, he comes back uh, overnight and, and, and the priest looks at it again. And, and then there's this ceremonial cleansing for all this business, etc. It was this long, drawn out ordeal of determining whether or not somebody had leprosy. But ladies and gentlemen, the length of that ordeal... Uh, was really not the big issue. The, the ordeal was downright terrifying. Gang, have you ever waited on a biopsy report? You have, haven't you? Many of you have. A biopsy report and you wait, and by, ladies and gentlemen, this ordeal in the Old Testament about uh, leprosy was that and far worse. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you get a bad report on your biopsy, um, you're, you're a very sick person and you've got some, some difficult days of recovery in front of you. But if it was determined that you had leprosy, not only were you sick with a disease that had no known cure, 
But you had to sit idly by and watch your extremities rot off. And that wasn't the worst part. Far worse than the disease itself, ladies and gentlemen, is that you, as a person, were abandoned, isolated, cut off, quarantined from everything that you loved and held dear. Your life became an endless series of walking up and down the street shouting, Unclean! Unclean! So that people could stay away from you. You see, for a Jew to be incorporated into the covenant people of God was considered a prized possession. And to be cut off from that was unthinkable. So can you imagine what's at stake for a Jew when he wakes up one morning and finds a spot on his skin? The existential terror of thinking. No, no! No, no! The the leprosy itself wasn't, wasn't the bad part. The bad part was to be declared unclean and cut off and forsaken by the community. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the point of all that is this. For the Jew, the Gentile was the moral and spiritual equivalent of a leper. I'm not going to have any any leper coming into my house. No, uh, no leper's going to eat in my house, and neither is any filthy, rotten Gentile. You know, no, no, no leper is going to ever sit down at my table, and neither is any unclean, uncircumcised Gentile going to sit at my table. And Peter is in a setting, ladies and gentlemen, where centuries of isolation and separation are coming to an end. In this story that we've just read, Peter is confronted with the situation where he's learning something about what God is up to. And the, the thrill of understanding that God has no distinctions, that God is indifferent to those distinctions that meant so much to Judaism. Like national distinctions and racial distinctions and ethnic distinctions. All of that that used to mean so much to us is being swept away. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, they're not the only ones. That, um, that formed lasting opinions based on superficial distinctions. In a matter of minutes, all of those generation-held prejudices are being swept away, and Peter was being told by God that Jews and Gentiles were on equal footing. Utterly stupendous. Now, go back with me. Let me ask you again. How do you think this sermon started? I perceive that in truth, God shows no partiality. I don't think so. I don't think the rest of the sermon was preached like that, ladies and gentlemen. I think there was a, 
a marvel, a sense of wonder that his mind is spinning. And is what you're telling me, God, is that you receive anyone, anywhere, from any background or race or social order? God, are you saying that it makes no difference to you as to a nationality? Is that what you're saying to me? That is, that no person is either advantaged or disadvantaged based on where he was born? Oh, this is, this is stupendous to think that this message that we thought was to be confined to us is not confined to us. All of those walls, they don't exist anymore. There is to be now the great prize and pursuit of racial equality. But gang, I, I can say this much at this point. Um, I don't think the full meaning of verse 34 has yet been fully understood by the Christian church in the 21st century. This Jew-Gentile thing might not register with you. But class distinctions are alive and well in the church. <laughs> Heck, we, uh, we isolate people because they don't go to the same school we go to. We give people the cold shoulder because they don't have the same kind of genes on that we like. Well, Peter goes on in this section to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his buddies. And what you see here is just a basic synopsis of the gospel. And here's the synopsis of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. There it is. I mean, if you want a sentence that, that encapsulates the gospel, peace with God through Jesus Christ. He says that. He says it in verse 36. Peace through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 42, he says, we are the preachers. And he's appointed him to judge the, the living and the dead. Now, quickly, in this last section, what you get in this last section, verses 44 through 48, 48, is where God authenticates both the speaker and the listener. That is, he places his stamp of approval on everything that's gone on here by, by pouring out the Holy Spirit on them. That is... The same thing that had happened at Pentecost to a predominantly Jewish audience in Acts 2 and had happened to a predominantly Samaritan audience in Acts 8 now happens to a predominantly Gentile audience in Acts 10. You know, guys, up in verse 23 when Peter had... Supper with a bunch of Gentile soldiers. That was one thing. But now, these Gentiles had received the very same gift that Jews had received at Pentecost. Spiritual equality. Did you notice this, ladies and gentlemen? That this first took place at Jerusalem. And then Judea. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. Just like Jesus had said in Acts 1.8. The Spirit is poured out in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in a Gentile audience. I, um, 
I, 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 I'm sure you realize this, but one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit was poured out in these last is really for Peter's benefit. Because Peter and his buddies have got to go back to Jerusalem and defend their actions before their peers. And so Peter says, as I watch the Holy Spirit being poured out, who could possibly deny this? And so he goes back, and in chapter 11, you'll see him do that. Uh, Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 11, he refers to what takes place in verses 44 through 48 of chapter 10. And so his peers say, well, gosh, if God poured out the Holy Spirit on them, then they, they must be supposed to be included. And indeed they were. So everybody in this family is supposed to get in the same way. Everybody in this family is going to, uh, is going to walk through the same door. There's going to be spiritual and racial and familial equality. There's not going to be any Jew nor Greek. There's not going to be any male nor female. There's not going to be any bond or free. We're all going to enter through the same door and be related to the same Christ, receive the same grace, and we're going to get just as much of it as anybody else gets. No Jew's going to get any more than any Gentile. We're all going to come into this family on equal footing. And we're told, I just thought this was interesting in verse 45, we're told, and the Jews were astonished. Yeah, I bet they were. Um, uh, anytime God saves people by grace, it is astonishing. Again, that's, that's pretty much the story. I want to leave you with three applications of the story. And um, hopefully what you see taking place here will be, begin to flesh itself out in our lives. Three little applications of this story. First of all, I want you to notice... That it is not an angel that preaches the gospel to Cornelius. It is a man. Now, there is an angel involved in this story. But the angel, his purpose is to go get the man, to bring the man back to Cornelius so the man could preach the gospel. Now, it might have been a better strategy. I I shouldn't really say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. It might have been a better strategy for angels to preach the gospel. They probably could do a much better job. But the angels didn't get that assignment. We did. That's our job. (laughs) The angel is sent to do just steerage. Preaching is our job, ladies and gentlemen. We get the privilege of telling men how peace can be, peace with God can be had. That's our job. You know, this, this audience that is such a receptive, willing, ready, listening audience, God will take care of that. God will get all the Corneliuses in the world ready. But the preaching, the, uh, the bearing of this message, that's our job. Gang, um, just think. You get the privilege of telling people where they can find peace with God. There's a lot of people in your life that you know would give anything to have their consciences quieted. Don't you? One of my heroes is a guy by the name of J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle is an Anglican bishop who died about the 1905 or so that J.C. Ryle said, 
There is only one thing that can quiet a guilty conscience, and that's the blood of Jesus sprinkled on it. That's our job. We get the privilege of telling people how they can find peace. The second application is one that is very complex, ladies and gentlemen, because here it is. Racism, in whatever form it exists, is intolerable. And I have to tell you that the Christian church has been very guilty. Very. Martin Luther, for instance, was, was widely known as an anti-Semite. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I had an appointment this Thursday afternoon with a city official, an elected city official, who came to my office and told me this whole story about something that is going on right now between Germantown High School and Houston High School. Have you read about it? <laughs> have you? Do you have kids in those two schools? Germantown High School, Houston High School. The details are, you can go find those details out. But I know, there's a, I know it's a complex issue. I know that there's concerns about education. There's concerns about safety. There's concerns about drugs. I, know, I, I understand that if you're a parent. But it was least the estimate of this city official that the biggest part of the problem was a racial problem. Now, does it not seem a bit interesting to you that a city like ours that is known for its numerous, large, good churches, there are a lot of good ones around here, ladies and gentlemen, that a city that is known to have numerous, large, good churches, that the biggest problem that that city faces is a racial problem. Does that not strike you as intriguing? It does me. Could that problem at all be contributed to by those of us who name the name of Christ? I hope not. Because, ladies and gentlemen, racism... In all of its forms, jokes, uh, there's a lot of ways, but racism in all of its forms is wickedness. And it must be repented of and turned from. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the text where racism is the controlling feature of one's religious perspective. And the demonstration of grace in his midst enabled him to step over his racism and move way beyond. Has it done that for us? Grace is supposed to change the way that we view all of those superficial classifications, those inadequate distinctions that are foolishness, racism should not ever be mentioned among us. Ever. Here's the third application. There are only two kinds of people in the world, ladies and gentlemen, but they're not Jews and Gentiles. 
Peter thought there was only two kinds. He was right about that. There's only two kinds. There are those who have peace with God. And there are those who don't. And anybody without it, that is, anybody without peace with God, you know it. You know that something's missing. You know that something is not right. And my friend, you will never get over that until you embrace Jesus Christ. Because the path that you are now on is one that is out of sync with your created design. You will never know peace. You can drink yourself into oblivion. You can emphasize recreation and partying and success and career and anything you can get to numb it. But you will never know peace while you are on this path that takes you away from your created design. If you are without peace today, you know it. And there's only one way to get it. it is to embrace Jesus Christ. Here is the beauty of our gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to this. First of all, peace. You know, I, this is... I'm really aging myself, and this, if when the senior, when the senior, when the high schoolers get here, they will make fun of me for this illustration, and I don't blame them. It really shows just how out of touch I am. But I just heard it the other day. They continue to play the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger's sinking, I can't get no satisfaction. And Mick, you never will. You never will. You'll never find it in anything that you drive or drink or smoke or snort. You'll never find it. Because the path that you have chosen to be on is a path that takes you out of your created design. We have peace with God. That's a rich word, ladies and gentlemen. In fact... It was the word that summarized all of covenant living for the Jew. Shalom. We have it. But we have it, secondly, through Christ. The only way to peace with God is through Christ. It's, it's, it, peace is not to be found by living some kind of life where you are constantly striving to do enough good works in the hope that when you stand before God, everybody will say, yeah, yeah, that's enough. And you live for a life with a, this, this sense of angst, wondering whether you've done enough. Have I done enough that when I finally die, God will say, way to go, that was enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's the answer to your question. No, you've not done enough. And you never will. But Jesus has. He lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. So that I could have peace with God. 
It's only found through Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will open the eyes of men and women who are perhaps here today without that sense of peace. And that they will see that they have no answers as to how to get it. And that sense of unrest, that sense of emptiness, that sense of void. I pray, O oh God, that you will alert them to the fact that there is a way to find peace. But there is only one way to find peace. And that it is through Christ Jesus the Lord. Father, that's my privilege to preach. It's everybody in this room's privilege. That we have a message that will tell all those people around us with whom we work, with whom we uh, are neighbors, that they can have peace. That longed-for commodity that cannot be found in any other way except through Christ. Thank you for the exalted privilege of being able to bear that message to men and women. Whether they listen or not is not the issue. The ready listeners, oh God, is your job. The ready speaker is our job. Thank you that we get to bear such a message as this one to a lost and dying world. But Father... If this church has in any way been guilty of the sin of racism, I pray that you will forgive us and show us where it lives, where it exists, that it might be covered up under some kind of cultural norm. I pray that you'll help us to root it out and be done with it so that we can go on and enjoy the spiritual and the national and the familial and the racial unity that we were designed to enjoy. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord.